This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust. You are listening to our podcast about land, water, culture, and conservation in northern New Mexico. Our subject today is sidewalks. Don't run away. It's not that boring. As most people know, we have a uh, severe lack of sidewalks here in our community. And the sidewalks that we do have are generally in pretty terrible condition. Um, Sidewalks are too thin. They're falling apart. They're not uh, uh, ADA compliant. Um, They are too close to uh, traffic. People don't feel safe on the sidewalks. We've got a lot of issues with moving pedestrians around our community, as most folks know. But what most folks don't think about is that sidewalks have a serious economic benefit to communities that have them, that have a good good sidewalk network with well-constructed sidewalks. And economic benefit, a benefit to uh, health, a benefit to safety of community citizens, and, and a stronger sense of identity. Walkable communities have a stronger sense of identity. The Taos Land Trust is currently working to build Rio Fernando Park, which is a 20-acre park located adjacent to Fred Baca Park. Um, I've talked about that a lot over the past year on this show. And part of the deal with that park is that we want to make it accessible to all Taosenos. So people on bikes, people without cars, and we would like to make it accessible for walkers. And so one of the projects that we're working on is to create a safe route from the high school and from the TISA, Taos Integrated School of the Arts, TISA Charter School, to Rio Fernando Park along La Posta Road. So that involves some major sidewalk improvements, as well as eventually the creation of some new sidewalk areas so that folks can access Rio Fernando Park and then get into Fred Baca Park, which is owned by the town of Taos. So this is a project that we're working on. It's probably going to take a couple years. Um, And we are fortunate enough to work with some folks from a national organization called Safe Routes to Parks. I've invited them on today to talk to us about the benefits of sidewalks and what good sidewalks might look like and how we might uh, improve both the economics and safety and equity of our com- in our community by uh, using sidewalks. So I'd like to introduce Danielle Sherman. Are you there? I'm there. And Michelle Lieberman. Thank Great. you for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves first. Danielle, why don't you start, give us a little bit of your background, and let us know who you are. Yeah, so hi, everyone. I'm Danielle Sherman. I work at Safe Routes Partnership, and I'm the Healthy Parks and Places Manager that works on the Safe Routes to Parks Activating Communities grant that Taos Land Trust received on behalf of Taos, New Mexico. So my background is in public health, and I've worked a lot around active transportation and the built environment. And Michelle, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having us today. Um, So my name is Michelle Lieberman. I'm the Senior Technical Assistance Manager at the Safe Routes Partnership. I work on a variety of different things, mostly focusing on safe routes to school, but also safe routes to other destinations. And my background is primarily in uh, community and transportation planning, as well as public health and architecture. Danielle, could you just give us some background on what, what is safe routes? 
what what is this national partnership and how did all of this come about? Why why is there a Safe Routes to Parks and Safe Routes to Schools organizations? Yeah, so the concept really started with Safe Routes to School. So that started off before Safe Routes to Parks. Um, and so Safe Routes to School began a long time ago, around the 70s in Denmark, and then it came over grew into the U.S. about 15 years ago, well, grew rapidly around 15 years ago, and it's focused on getting, you know, elementary and middle school students safely from their homes to, um, to school. Um, and so that, it's had a tremendous impact. There have been, like, millions, like, close to 7 million students that have participated in Safe Routes to School over the years. Um, and there have been a lot of research that has shown that there's been an increase in walking and biking to school, um, approximately around 31% over like a five-year period, due to these types of Safe Routes to School projects. Um, and so Safe Routes to School has really helped to also reduce pedestrian injury among children um, and also helps to improve academic performance. Um, and it also economically is good because it helps to save us money um, around million, 200, like $230 million in long-term health care cost savings that we have due to um, injury prevention. So Safe House of School has been around. It's really the start of where we started. Um, and, and from that, we saw from that success from Safe House of School, it really has led us to consider other ways to improve safe access to other destinations um, like healthy food retail. Um, and parks. And so we're on we're talking about parks today, but it, it really has branched out um, to different things. And then I can talk a little bit about Safe House to Parks if you want me to go into that as well. Is that helpful? Yes, please do. So, yeah, so Safe House to Parks, um, it really it focuses on increasing accessibility for people that are walking, bicycling, taking public transportation. So we focus on that really by improving or creating routes that are safe from traffic and personal danger. When we talk about traffic, that's more like sidewalks, crosswalks, bulb outs. But when we talk about personal danger, that's, you know, addressing like sexual harassment along the street, maybe loose dogs, lighting, so people feel comfortable walking to the park. Um, and this is for people of all ages and abilities um, to get to the park um, and have a park within a 10-minute walk, which is about a half a mile distance. Um, and so we also not only want to focus on the route, but once you get to the park, we want folks to be able to have something that's a uh, park that's well-maintained and that's well-programmed. Um, and so ultimately, like, the, the biggest goal of Safe Routes to Parks is for people, you know, to be able to feel safe accessing the park, therefore that we see more park usage by residents. And, and we know there's so many benefits from you know, using parks, um, it really helps to improve health and well-being. And so that is really like the ultimate, ultimate goal. And Michelle, what is your role at Safe Routes to Parks? My role with the organization is really to provide technical assistance and support. So I provide a lot of the sort of planning expertise um, and policy expertise that helps support communities in making changes, you know, on the ground, getting new infrastructure into place, as well as getting policies and plans that really talk about better environments for walkability and bikeability. So, Danielle, where where yeah. have... Get, let's talk about some examples of where have safe routes to parks worked over the past couple of years. What are some example communities that you can you can talk about? Sure. And, and just to kind of um, back up so there's a, like more understanding of like... Um, 
like the grant part of it. Save Rouse Parks really started because the National Recreation and Parks Association. We're celebrating um, this month, Parks and Recreation Month. If anyone is um, have he- has heard of that already, but they received funding from the Centers for Disease Control to develop um, this framework around Safe Rouse Parks to really support the Surgeon General's call to action on walking and walkability. And so our organization was invited by the National Recreation and Parks Association to work together with the Trust for Public Land and the American Planning Association to create this framework. And the framework really focuses on engagement, assessment, planning, implementation, and sustainability. So thinking about who's involved in getting this work done, residents, businesses, municipality, schools, then figuring out what are the needs, like what does the community say are the needs for improving access to parks, then prioritizing those needs, and then taking short, medium, and long-term steps to implementing those things, and then thinking about how are we going to keep this momentum going. Um, and so we, once that framework was developed, then our organization, Safe Rouse Partnership, we um, set out to get some funding, and we received uh, generous funding from the JPB Foundation to start what I mentioned earlier, which is Safe Routes to Parks, Activating Communities. Um, and so last year was the first year of the grant, and we funded 10 communities across the country. And this year we're funding 12 um, to create a plan around how to improve safe and equitable access to parks, as well as to implement one thing from that, from that plan. And that could be, you know, installing lighting um, or enhancing a crosswalk. And so Taos, New Mexico, on behalf of Taos Land Trust, was one of the 12 communities that received this funding this year. Um, and just so that you know, we've, just like Safe House to School, we've worked all across the country. So but with Safe House to Parks, we've worked with Wenatchee, Washington, um, Merced County, California, Shano, Wisconsin, um, Birmingham, Alabama, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Honolulu, Hawaii, so all over the place. And so we've gotten a really nice chance to be able to see, like, how different communities work. Um, some communities come at it from different angles. They have different resources and capacity. So it's just been really nice to see the journey on behalf of various communities working on this. And so one that I think about, like, the need for sidewalks is would be Youngstown, um, Ohio. And so they're about a small to mid-sized city, um, and the, the community or the organization that received that funding was the Youngstown Neighborhood Development Corporation, um, and they did several walk audits at uh, six parks. They were focusing on six parks. Danielle, let me yeah. interrupt real quick. What is a walk audit? Yes, yeah, so a walk audit is a tool that community residents can use um, a more t- less technical side of it because it could also be done by more technical experts, but um, community advocates can kind of get in and identify what are the things that would make walking, biking, taking public transportation easier in their community to improve walking and biking. Okay, cool. Thank you for answering yeah. that question. I just, we've done two walk yeah. audits along <laughs> La Posta route uh, here in town right. that I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but I just wanted you to, to, to define that yeah. before you went on. But yeah, tell us more about Youngstown. Yeah, so, so, um, so yeah, they did six um, walk audits, and um, I participated in them as I went to visit them last year. Um, and so then from those walk audits, they were able to say, okay, these are the priorities we want, we want to focus on. And then they thought about 
what were the short, medium, and long-term solutions to get there. And so, you know, some communities are different because, like, this particular organization had, like, a planner on staff, so they were able to kind of better understand what would the solutions be. But there's some communities that we work with that might not have that expertise and so have to really work with their municipality and kind of thinking through what those solutions are. And so shortly after... The, the grant ended last year they, based on the community feedback that they got from the walk-on and other data sources. They focus on personal safety. That was a big thing in Youngstown. So they removed, they had this old tennis court blacktop that was in disrepair and people used to drive up on there and they, there used to be a lot of dumping and also like crime and violence that took place there. And so they, they took that blacktop up and planted grass in this place and then they built like a split rail fence to prevent cars from driving up on the green space. And then they installed the LED spotlight to illuminate the area. And so then after that, they went around the community and asked them again, like a follow-up, like, how, how are you feeling about these changes? And they were, they were blown away by the response. They were like, it's so much better for them to access the park. Um, and so this was one of the early wins that we would call it, um, and it really would help to build momentum. And so they used that along with the action plan that I mentioned earlier that each community develops, um, and and they use the, the action plan and that early win to then go to um, the count, their councilwoman that covered another park that was represented in the plan and shared that information with them. And so the councilwoman was really excited about the, what they've already done and their plan and the plan that they developed, and then they shared, or not shared, she donated $10,000 to repair broken sidewalks leading up to Glenwood Park, which is another park that was in the plan. And so right now they are accepting um, proposals from companies that are interested in undertaking the construction of the, of the sidewalks that are leading up to Glenwood Park. So this wow. is another great first step that they're, they're taking to really build the momentum. So it's like, you know, sometimes we can't go in and, like, fix everything that is outlined in a plan, but we can take it one step at a time. And so that's exactly what we um, want to see and that we've been seeing with Youngstown and even with Taos. Like, the work that you're doing, Jim, with going to the town council and really advocating for this is, one of, the, one of the early steps that we want to see communities do to kind of build the momentum to get these, like, medium and long-term strategies into action. So that, that's, that's one that really comes to mind um, for related to sidewalks. And, and then, okay, so when we talk about sidewalks, Michelle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you up for this. I, I lived about seven years of my life in Europe, and, and four of that, almost four of that was in Finland. And when they have sidewalks, you have sidewalks that are, you know, five and six feet wide. They're next to the buildings. Then you have a bike path. Then you have a row of benches, a row of trees, parked cars, and then the traffic. So the, that was one thing that I really remarked in, in a lot of places in Europe was that between the, uh, the pedestrian the person who's walking and the traffic that's moving, you have sometimes 20 or more feet with a lot of different barriers between, uh, between the pedestrian and, and the cars. And so it gets me thinking about design, right? So what, what is a, how do you design a safe and effective sidewalk? really hit the core of um, street design and you know how streets and sidewalks are designed really tell us who belongs and for drivers how to behave um, 
So when we're talking about allocating spaces for people walking, for people biking, and having dedicated spaces that are away from the car, it really gives us uh, the ability to, to tell people, you, if you're walking, you belong here. If you are biking, you belong here. Um, and it's not just for, for the drivers. Um, so what, what you're talking about with, with buffers, you know, really provides that separation uh, between the, the cars and the people walking. Um, and it really increases uh, the comfort and the safety of, of people walking and not having to walk right against, you know, fast-moving cars. They have um, a feeling of, of comfort and security being separated. And um, so when you come to a community, say, like Taos, and Michelle, I don't know if you've ever been to Taos, but we have um, the majority of our sidewalks that do exist. We have tons of places where there are no sidewalks at all. But where sidewalks do exist, they tend to be, you know, three to four foot wide and right next to the traffic. And so when we talk about feeling safe, we're not necessarily talking about crime. We're often talking about just like, man, it, it doesn't feel good to walk on that sidewalk. So how do we then, how, how, how do communities like ours deal with, with things like that? How do you maybe redesign? Right. Yeah. For a lot of communities, it really is a challenge where you have existing streets, you have existing infrastructure um, that you're really trying to revamp. You know, when we when we look at the design of new communities, it's really easy to say, you know, we're going to prioritize people walking and design for that. But when we're going into communities um, where communities are already built out, uh, it's it's a little bit more challenging. Um, but what we've seen communities do is really redesign the street to reallocate the space. Um, and that may be, um, you know, if there's if there's the ability to widen the sidewalk, there's additional, you know, right-of-way that the, the city or the locality has um, to widen the sidewalk. It may be reallocating the space um, within the street and, you know, looking at if there's extra, if there's extra wide uh, car lanes, um, reducing those or... Like narrowing um, those car lanes? Narrowing those car, car lanes or if there's, uh, you know, we see some communities where we actually have, like, way too many car lanes for the number of cars that actually need to go through there. Um, so possibly, you know, removing a lane and uh, reallocating that space so you can get, you know, bike lanes or a wider sidewalk or uh, a buffer, either, um, you know, landscaping, trees, planting, or even a parking buffer between cars driving and the people walking. Right. I'd like to jump into the economics of this. Taos is... Uh, we're constant. We're you know we're one of the poorest communities in one of the poorest states in the nation. We are constantly concerned with economic issues and the cost of infrastructure. We've got a huge infrastructure back, backlog, and we want to help our local businesses and we want to create jobs in our community. Sidewalks is one of the ways that that can happen. I've been looking at a lot of statistics and, and studies over the past year, and um, I'm going to have Danielle jump in here in a minute, but one thing that really stands out for me is that um, biking and walking provide a, a, an estimated return on investment of about 11 to $12 for every $1 invested. That's a huge economic benefit for the community. Um, by investing in non-vehicular transportation, biking and walking. A lot of the studies that I looked at from different uh, communities around the, around the world actually indicate that 
pedestrian-friendly neighborhoods, pedestrian-friendly communities see huge increases in employment, sometimes 100, 200, 300 percent increase in employment from, uh, from the, 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 the construction of pedestrian-friendly infrastructure. One of the reasons that that is, is that pe- pedestrians tend to spend as much as 65 to 70 percent more than drivers. And if you think about Taos, if you think about right downtown where uh, the majority of our tourists go uh, around in the plaza area, if you're in your car driving by, you are, and, and then looking for a parking place because it's not easy to park, you're looking, you're, you're not in a store spending money. If you're walking along uh, a sidewalk and you see a store that catches your attention, you can easily just jump on in there. And that's one of the reasons that, um, that pedestrians tend to spend so much more than drivers. So, um, Danielle and Michelle, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that economic benefit to communities of, of, of having sidewalks. Yeah, I mean, Jim, you just, <laughs> you just basically answered that question. But I, I would just reiterate that, um, you know, focusing on improving walking and bicycling facilities. And, and when we talk about that, that's like I mentioned, like sidewalks, bike lanes, crosswalks. So people that, you know, feel safe, you know, traffic safety-wise, but then also thinking about lighting in terms of personal danger walking really can transform a local, a local economy. Um, when we think about the returns from tourism, especially in Taos, because I, I was actually there this past summer um, and saw, like, just the great tourism that is there and um, jobs, businesses, and taxes, and then health cost savings, like I mentioned earlier. Like, when you, when you can improve access to various destinations, for people walking and biking, you're also, you know, preventing injury, which is aligned with, you know, healthcare costs. And um, two things, two examples that I'll bring up were like in so in North Carolina, there was a report that I read about that documented that almost seven million dollars of investment over like ten years, and when, when we're talking about like bicycle infrastructure, resulted in. $60 million annually in revenue from nearly just 700,000, not nearly just, but nearly 700,000 visiting bicyclists each year. So as you build, you know, infrastructure, but making sure that we build infrastructure that is based upon the needs of the community. So we're not just going to put in a bike lane because we want, like, that's what everyone does, but that's what the community asks for. Then you will see folks using it. Um, and then in Vermont, there was another report that, um, we found that bicycling and walking created at least 1,400 jobs, $41 million in wages, and $83 million in revenue for bicycle and pedestrian-related businesses and major events. Um, and so from those events, it attracted, like, more than 60,000 people to the state. So, you know, when we talk about, like, bicycle and pedestrian improvements, it's, it's like I mentioned, tourism. It's not just for those that live there, even though those are the ones that we, you know, the people that are there, we want to make sure that they are pleased and, like, they're the priority. But it can also bring so many more people to enjoy the beauty, especially in Taos. Um, And so sidewalks, pathways, and bike lanes really make streets and downtowns into destinations for shopping and entertainment. Um, And I remember seeing the plaza and, and thinking, too, like I was driving by, um, and I'm like, oh, I would love to, like, you know, be able to find a quick parking spot and then, you know, jump into that store. That looked like, you know, 
I was really interested in what they were selling. But then again, it was hard to find parking at the time. So if I was walking, that would be different. So investing in walking and bicycling facilities really can help local business, and it's really an investment for the local economy. So, yes, it is upfront cost, but it's like much more benefits that come in the long run. And just sticking with the tourism piece, uh, because we are a, a, a tourist-oriented town, one of the things that's, that I find that sidewalks do is, is create kind of a sense of place. I want to talk a little bit about how sidewalks and pedestrian-friendly areas help augment the identity of a place, thus making it more attractive. And, and I bring that up because, yeah. um, you know, me personally, when I, we, I, I see our community spend a lot of money, both our, 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 our town and county spend a lot of money to attract tourists, but we don't necessarily take care of the things that tourists come for all the time. Um, and, and part of the reason people do come to a place like Taos is our historic and cultural identity. Do, do we have any examples that you can give yeah. of sidewalks where, where that enha- helps to enhance that, that piece of it? Again, we're just talking about tourists at the moment, but yeah. the sidewalks also, we'll, we'll get to the local community in a minute. Yeah, so like when we think about sidewalks um, and, you know, what's really been popular a lot, you know, doing artwork on, you know, to create or even enhance a crosswalk or to do like a bulb out, which like creates more space around, um, like if you're making a turn and not wanting to be as close to the sidewalk, it's kind of like makes more space um, so that it, it forms more of a buffer for people that are walking, you know, separated from cars. And so like, you know, even one of the grantees that we're working with right now in Honolulu, they recently did a, a bulb out installation with artwork on the street. And so it just gives it more, like you were saying, like identity, you know, um, you know, imagine walking on the street and seeing artwork. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter who you are. You might not be into art, but it just bring it. It makes it not like just a very commonplace or common thing to see. It gives like vibrancy to an area, and it's something that you could involve residents in. Um, you know, whether it's selecting or having a, a contest to see, like you know, what are the you know what is some good artwork that they can develop and and then um, implement. So it's just really something that can bring community residents together, and then for them to be able to see themselves in place, like as they're walking. And you know, you tend to slow down a little bit more. You know, there's different things that you could do in terms of even pop-up parks or parklets along the way, where it's like a little area that would be. Um, between a, a street and a sidewalk would be like a little, you know, you could put down a little, you know, fake grass and then put out some chairs. And, you know, the tense, people tend to stop and then just, you know, slow down and, you know, sit down and, 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 you know, go to a local business and get some coffee and then sit outside. So definitely designing your place for those that are there um, and those that are coming is really important. And you can, you know, it creates a sense of place, like outdoor place when you do those things. So, yeah, I totally agree with, with making it um, a place that folks can identify with. I just want to reiterate this number. <laughs> the biking and walking provide an estimated return on investment of $11.80 for every $1 invested. 
That's yeah. that's astounding, Michelle. Um, beyond that economic piece with the uh, with with business business growth and and uh, attracting tourism, how does the inve- community's investment in sidewalks and other pedestrian routes influence, say, a, a community's budget? We are constantly concerned with the amount of money that we have available for road maintenance um, and things like that. How, do we have any numbers? Do we know any numbers that give us a sense that um, that, that sidewalks can reduce uh, other trans- uh, transportation costs in other areas? Yeah, I don't have any specific numbers for you, unfortunately, um, but uh, you're right. You know, reducing the amount that a community has to spend on maintaining roads um, is really, you know, can be really critical. Um, cars are really hard on our roads, and uh, it seems like there's, you know, there's always potholes, there's always places that need repair. So if we're moving from being uh, less dependent on using our cars to get around and that wear and tear on the road, we can, you know, take that that money and it, um, you know, spend it on spend less really on maintaining uh, uh, sidewalks and bike lanes that really don't have the same level of ongoing maintenance needs. Yeah, it seems like the, the, that the cost of paving a sidewalk is, is pretty small when you compare it with the cost of, say, paving wide roads, installing traffic signals, and, and, and then doing repairs on, on the roads. We're talking to Michelle Lieberman and Danielle Sherman from the Safe Routes to Parks National Organization. The reason we're talking with them is because Taos Land Trust was awarded a grant to work on a safe pedestrian route from Taos High School and Tisa Charter School to the park that we're creating, Rio Fernando Park. One of the benefits to, of this grant to our staff has been that there's, there's been, I think, basically monthly calls with other grantees where we've had the opportunity to exchange ideas and exchange information, but also get training from the national organization on uh, different aspects of, um, of, of safe routes to projects. And one of the ones that I really... Uh, got a lot out of was the equity training. So, Daniel, why does that matter? What, what are we and what are we talking about when we're talking about equity and sidewalks? How do those things link up? Yeah, yeah. And so, equity is is not let's let's give everyone the same thing. That that's more equality, um, and we're not at that that place yet to just focus on equality because everyone is at different places. So, until we can get everyone kind of on the same playing field as possible. Um, we have to focus on equity. So we have to give folks what they need. And so that's really the difference between equity and equality. And so when we talk about accessing parks, healthy food retail, and other businesses and other destinations, equity is, is key. It's, it's especially important for, obviously it's important for everyone, but especially for kids and um, who are not driving, you know, um, and also we are concerned with them, you know, walking safely to a destination, too, for traffic and personal safety reasons. But then also for those who are, um, who are older adults who may prefer not to drive. Um, and then, like you mentioned, Jim, for people without cars who rely on walking, bicycling, and public transportation to get around. Um, so that's why we have to 
focus on improving sidewalks, improving crosswalks um, and bike lanes, things, things of those natures so that they, folks like um, younger adults or younger or kids and older adults and those who um, have to take or have to walk or bike and take public transportation to get around. And so Safe House of Parks, that's of particular importance to us. We focus on and only really award um, the grant money to those that are working in low-income communities and communities of color that have experienced historic disinvestment and marginalization. So because of lack of resources in communities of color or low-income communities, these neighborhoods are significantly lacking those facilities that support safe walking and bicycling. And because of that, then it's associated with, like, higher rates of weight-related chronic diseases. Um, so, you know, when we talk about this, it's a, it's a right. It's a right that everyone, like you mentioned this a while ago, like someone should not feel like they are shut in. You know, it's a right for that person to be able to get out their door and walk or bicycle or take public transportation to wherever they need to um, and feel safe in order to really reap the, the benefits. Because there's so many benefits. There's social, there's mental, physical health benefits of spending time outdoors. Um, and when that opportunity is not available to all, you know, despite race, age, income level, the, um, that represents a lack of fairness and justice. And, and we often say that everyone has it, and that's not the case that we see. Michelle, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think one of the other things in terms of, of equity is that if we're prioritizing, um, you know, maintaining our, our roads for cars and we're keeping, you know, putting the money there, um, but not necessarily in uh, places for people to walk safely or bike safely, you know, we're, we're really, you know, giving priority to people driving. And that is probably, you know, it's a, a substantial portion of our population, but it's only one segment of our population who is able to drive. Like Danielle said, you know, kids aren't driving. Um, there may be older adults who can't drive. And then there's people who, you know, either don't know how to drive or don't have a car or would really prefer not to drive. And by putting our money um, just in investing in places for cars, we're excluding those other people who need the option to walk or bike. Yeah, I, I know several folks who are kind of almost shut in basically because of that. But also, um, I know some, some younger folks who... Um, don't have a car for whatever reason, um, and they need to work and they want to work. They have trouble finding a job because they can't they can't get to uh, the places where there are jobs. In the work that you guys have done, have you worked with a community like Taos before? Um, and the, <laughs> part of the reason that I ask that is because I feel like you know I have traveled all over the country and I I, I feel like we are so unique. Mm-hmm. And we we really stand out, and I'm just wondering if it, have you run into anybody like us before? <laughs> well, you are unique, and there's no two places that are the same. But um, we did work with a community last year, uh, Planada, and they're a rural, unincorporated community. Um, they're about their population is around four thousand five hundred residents. It's about forty five minutes away from Yosemite National Park. Just to give a little bit more reference. Okay. Um, and so much of their community is composed of farm workers that have migrated from Mexico. Um, and the nonprofit that we worked with last year is Cultiva La Salud. And they really have a really good understanding that you have to build relationships and trust with, with your residents. And so even before they received the grant, they had been working like years, like almost 12 years, um, to really 
build up the knowledge and capacity of their residents to understand how to influence and inform decision makers um, on how to pass policy and environmental changes. So, And when they got this funding from us, um, that didn't stop. So the residents participated in every aspect of it. So they were involved in community meetings. They conducted walk audits. They also helped to implement a born learning trail um, from Houlihan Park, which, which is the park they focus on, to a local elementary school. And a born learning trail is like where they have like signs along the path that like kids can look up at and like do what the, the sign says. So very interactive. Um, and they also were involved in prioritizing improvement projects through a participatory budget process. So the county is was getting ready to look at the park that they're focusing on in terms of what improvements they want to make in the park and then also in terms of accessing the park. And so once they did the walk audits and they collected some other data, they under, the residents understood what their priorities were. And so then they had a meeting with the county and were able to basically um, put up the different projects that they wanted to see and put dollar amounts and then they gave residents play money to go around and vote with their dollars. And so then the county used oh, wow. that prioritization um, to then, you know, put what they were going to work on in terms of the renovations for the park and park access. And, and that plan was approved by their Parks and Recreation Commission and then their um, Municipal Advisory Committee. And so they are going to be doing some renovations, but right now they are waiting on another um, to see if they receive some more funding because, like, it takes about – it'll take about $2 million for renovations. Um, so they're seeing if they can get more funding before they start um, making some changes. So, yeah – there are not too many communities that I could probably call on, but that is definitely one that I think of when I think about the similarities in terms of Taos. That that is a really cool. <laughs> that's a really cool outreach project. It's really original and and yeah. and creative. Um, when Strong at Heart, I guess this was probably now a year and a half ago. God, maybe even two years. Strong at Heart, when when they finished up their work, one of the things that they did on Civic Plaza Drive, which is located next near the plaza, um, is there was kind of a street party. So it was it, there was kind of this guerrilla action where the sidewalk, uh, the crosswalks were painted bright colors. Um, the street was narrowed slightly using um, you know uh, uh, fake potted plants and and things like that in order to kind of give a feel of, of what that street might be like under redevelopment scenarios. And I thought that was a, another really creative example yeah. of how to, how to bring, um, bring these kind of, I guess, open people's eyes through an activity. What are some other good ones right. that you've seen out there? Yes. Yeah, last year we also worked with Can Do Houston. They're in obviously Houston, <laughs> Texas. Um, and they, they also were very much involved with their residents. They did some leadership development with them to like show them how to collect data and then analyze it. Um, and they so they did some walk audits and then they also developed and conducted a survey to look at like you know safety, quality features, and access to the park. And so from that, they determined that there was a need for temporary enhancements. And so when you talk about some of those early wins, that like that's something that can be done in a short period of time. Uh -huh. um, with less, you know, less money, um, and, you know, you can involve residents and other um, sectors. So they worked, um, then they had a meeting with some residents, the school staff, because this, this 
the particular crosswalks were going to be near a middle school and then a park. And then they also worked with the public works department and planning and, and development departments, their health department, um, I think also their council member's office and a local foundation. Um, and so they kind of all came together because everyone had their own agendas in terms of trying to improve safety, and so they tried to figure out how could, it, how could they work together. And so from that meeting, then they were able to decide, okay, we're going to work on these crosswalk enhancements near the school and the park, um, and they came together to do that. And because of, like, what the um, Department of Public Works, they saw it was, like, so much support for the artistic crosswalks that they put in, they have decided that they are going to go ahead and install permanent crosswalks um, with um, artwork that's selected by the community. So, oh, cool. again, like, early wins are necessary. Involving different sectors um, are necessary to get, you know, these types of um, projects moving forward. Right. But you kind of have to start, you know, somewhere, and, and that's an example of one of them. Right. You know, we have a, a very receptive town council and mayor, and um, we were able to go and talk with them about uh, this project. And, uh, you know, our community is... I can't remember what our one of our town, town councilors told me yesterday, but it's um, there's there's tens of millions of dollars in backlog of infrastructure. Um, so to, to to focus in on sidewalks and to to make the case for sidewalks is is kind of a big deal. Um, but we we get, we our council and mayor were receptive to that to working with us as a as an organization to to find the funding and to to hopefully move this forward over the next few years. Michelle, I wanted to go back to you again because, again, I don't know if you've been to Taos, but you definitely have lived in the West and you understand these sprawling towns that may, may have not had a, a good planning system. So we've got these, you know, extremely wide roads, a state road going through. Um, what are some fairly simple and cost-effective things that, um, that communities can do fairly rapidly yeah. to, to improve the, the pedestrian situation? Yeah, so um, a few things. I think, you know, Danielle mentioned walk audits. So I think walk audits can really help identify some of those uh, short-term, easy, you know, low-hanging fruit things to do. Um, just like making sure that you're able to uh, remove graffiti, pick up litter, um, you know, replace landscaping um, or install new, you know, trees or um, uh, planting that can help, you know, beautify the area. Um working with property owners to remove uh, sidewalk obstructions, things like signs or um, you know, overgrown landscaping, um, repainting crosswalks, making sure that they're, you know, well, well maintained. Um, and it, you know, it really is, it's paint, so it is fairly inexpensive. Um, right. So, you know, repainting the crosswalks, making sure those are really visible. Um, Things like, uh, especially in your in your the core of the city, um, looking at adjusting the signal timings. That way, people of all abilities are able to cross the street before the signal uh, turns. Uh huh. You're right. Um, yeah. Good point. Yeah, those are really easy things to do. Um, also, you know, going along the lines of of using paint is, uh, I think, eventually when we talk about like redesigning roadways, a lot of that takes more engineering and more, more studies and, you know, cost if they're in time. Um, but, you know, sometimes if it's just, uh, if the city or the community is going through a, a process of already repaving or resurfacing the streets, um, looking at adjusting the, the striping then so that way, you know, the lanes 
are narrower for cars or you're able to create a bike lane. Um, and if, you know, timing those that it's being done with an existing project that's already underway can be, be pretty cost effective. That's great. Um, also, you know, there's programmatic things that can be done um, in terms of like, you know, if there was like a recent environmental change um, or even like you, you made an improvement, added a, a light or um, like did the, the crosswalks. There are ways to do like programmatic things to bring awareness. So doing a walk to park event um, as a way to bring awareness to that improvement uh-huh. um, and also ongoing, you know, having ongoing programs and developing a safe passage program if, you know, crime is an issue um, or a, a walking and biking pro- program that goes from one location to the park. So just another way of just bringing more attention and another early win. It doesn't always have to be environmental. It can also be programmatic as well that you focus on. That's great. And, and I, I, you know, I've kind of thought this a little bit with our with our particular project, but it seems like uh, working with town um, decision makers to actually get get them out with a group of citizens to do a walk audit, not just along the La Posta route that we're talking about, but but throughout uh, different different areas of town, might be really effective. Yes, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. a walk audit can be done different ways. It could just be residents, but it can also be residents and you know, like um, transportation planners or land use planners or parks and recreation staff. Um, and, you know, there's also a good way for them as technical experts to hear directly from community residents that this is what we need. And then they could also be involved in, like, saying, oh, well, this is actually coming up. This is on our capital improvement plan list, you know. So it's giving them a little bit more um, information about some changes that are coming up along the way and providing some more technical knowledge along the walk as well. So that is a great idea. Yeah. And one of the, the, one of the reasons that this, one of the, the experiences that I had that made um, our particular route stand out with, to me, so starkly uh, the La Posta route was just walking it with some of the high school students. Um, it, yeah. uh, the, yep. the, the crossing from the, um, the road that leaves the high school across um, Paseo, Del Pueblo, which is our main state route through town, and then along La Posta, the high school students just constantly talked about how absolutely horrifying that intersection is, even with the the traffic lights there, because drivers aren't paying attention, there's no crossing guard, so on and so forth, and um, a lot of them are, are really shy away from even crossing that road. So, yeah, so yeah get, getting town officials out with, 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 those, with those folks. Danielle and Michelle, thank you very much for joining me. I wanted to thank you guys for taking the time and helping us understand why sidewalks can benefit uh, our community. So welcome. Thank you for having us, Jim. Thank you for having us. All right. Thanks again, and you guys have a good day. You've been listening to the Taos Land Trust Podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded by Jim O'Donnell at the studios of KNCE 93.5 FM in Taos, New Mexico. Edited by Brett Tomadin. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit www.taoslandtrust.org. This is Jim O'Donnell for the Taos Land Trust. Thank you for joining us.